0: Gavias, we have uh, something significant today. It happened. The behemoth has been slain. It required so many things to fall in place. Exactly. From the blocked. Supreme Court nominee in anticipation of the 2016 election, to Trump getting elected, to sticking with Kavanaugh through everything that happened with Kavanaugh, and RBG dying. All those things had happened in a very particular way. And the group that brought the the subject case for Dobbs, who were, I think they were challenging like a 15 week, a ban after 15 weeks. I mean, all these things had to fall exactly into place to get to uh, to where it ended up. But for our purposes today, we're going gonna to try not to retread things that many others have said related to this. One person in particular that had a great breakdown of how the decision went and why it went that way was Ben Shapiro. He goes through it very specifically and in detail and does a good job of it. For our purposes, we're going to talk about the decision a little bit, uh, the future of this particular issue, some particulars about the rhetoric around this issue, and then a uh, little bit of big picture stuff. And then on Thursday, I think we will have uh, another book that's going to be coming up. Although we should have a discussion on the birth of tragedy. We should have a discussion episode, but I'm not sure when that one will end up. On the interweb. So other than that, yeah, this is the decision. Alito wrote it, Justice Alito wrote it, and four other justices joined to overturn Roe and Casey. Casey, ironically, was trying to undo some of the ridiculousness that was Roe without overturning it. But if you are legally trained or not, you can just read things and make logical conclusions, then you know that Roe was a, a major stretch from the from the jump and that's just leaving aside all the other issues with it but there was no actual basis constitutionally for this particular right it was seated kind of in an implied right to privacy but it took a lot of stretching to get there and even more egregious than that was that the judges in the court forro just made up law they just made up what the law was going to be which is not the function of judges they don't get to do that legislatures get to do that <laughs> So the rules that they made up, the law they made up, was just what the particulars were going to be for when you were allowed to get an abortion versus when you weren't, the trimester system. And again, this wasn't something that was uh, created by the legislature to say, okay, this is based on uh, you know, whatever we're going to take into account to make this particular law. This was the judges making this determination. So anybody with an opinion about uh, just this topic in general who doesn't understand this decision shouldn't be taken seriously, and that's 90% of the people who are commenting on it presently. I mean, Twitter's just a cesspool of children throwing fits in the cereal aisle. It's ridiculous. Roberts, Chief Justice, he voted to uphold the law, but he didn't want to overturn. So, uphold the uh, restrictions on abortion that was the subject of the litigation. But he voted to not overturn Rowan Casey. So, he joined in part, but not in that part. That's why it was was actually a 5-4 to overturn, but 6-3 to uphold the law that was the subject of the litigation. The Kavanaugh concurrence, he made an interesting statement. He made it a point to, there are theories that would allow for an unborn baby to be recognized as a person and therefore allow the court to outlaw abortion 100%, you know, by federal mandate across the country. And Kavanaugh specifically rejected those arguments in anticipation of those arising or showing up at the court. So he had his own concurrence that was going with that, but he agreed with overturning Roe. And Casey and upholding the state law. Thomas, for his part, he didn't just want to get rid of Roe and Casey, but he wanted to question all of the substantive due process rights that were kind of manufactured out of the Constitution. He said all those should be under the chopping block. And there were a number of cases that were decided on that basis. And nobody joined that concurrence, but he obviously agreed with overturning Roe and Casey. So one thing about this particular decision, it has excellent legal clarity in the determination. A lot of lawyers, at least, love to make fun of the language that was in Casey. That was just kind of this flowery, hippie language about what, you know everybody's aspirations and love and all that, man. So uh, it was something that was made fun. But this particular decision has a lot of clean legal clarity, and it makes perfect sense. And importantly, it is the court, this branch of government, actually relinquishing power and authority and returning that power to the states. So anybody who says it's the Supreme Court being tyrannical or something like that is just completely oblivious. So what does the future hold related to this? Now, I mean, the reality of the situation is that although this decision does return the decision to the states individually, who are going to have their own rules related to abortion, and might not even have to worry about some of the restrictions that Roe and Casey put on abortion, so they might get even more extreme abortion laws. But the reality is that conservatives most certainly do want to, well, a lot of them anyway, want to have a national ban on abortion as a practice in general. So that is something that will be pushed for in the future, which would have to be done, you know, either by a constitutional amendment, or, but that is likely going to be the ultimate goal long-term, Like I mentioned, Kavanaugh talked about, uh, I think through the 14th Amendment, there's some kind of a an argument that can be made for recognizing a fertilized egg as human. And there's some legal precedent for this related to treatment of endangered animals. But the ultimate reality around this is that there is no clean answer to when life begins because we're an evolved species and we develop on a continuum, you know, just like you go from child to adult. There's not one point that you can point to and just say that, okay, here's the cleft mark, here's the demarcation. But for our purposes, the only one that has any kind of a clean answer is conception. So it, it makes sense that they might push for this. But notwithstanding all that kind of discussion, there is the idea of the the rhetoric around around the whole abortion issue and what it actually means. That's one thing that's driven me absolutely crazy. It's the least honest conversation that we have nationally, because the whole edifice of pro-choice, it's just a non sequitur. It doesn't actually follow. Uh, The only actual question in controversy is whether it's a life or not. If it's not, obviously a woman can do whatever she wants at whatever time by whatever means she wants to. If it is, then a woman can't choose to end a life on her own behalf for her own benefit. That's why it constantly has to be couched in euphemism and rhetoric and emotional outrage as opposed to argument. But having said that, there is a reasonable, intuitive inference, you know, obviously that's a lot of women pick up on, that it will limit female choices in a collateral way. Any kind of abrogation of abortion is going to limit their choices. They'll have to be more discerning when it comes to sexual partners. That, in general, is better for everyone, but it's a restriction on female behavior, and that's uh, something that you can legitimately recognize. But we certainly don't need to give too much credit to to this side because it is shockingly selfish and borderline demonic to so desperately want to sacrifice the unborn to one's future success and happiness. But there are at least some women, you know, maybe a lot of them, who are just rationalizing a fear of the abrogation of any female authority and they don't actually want to, you know, engage in, in abortions or whatever. And that's one thing, because men think they want free sex, and women think they want consequence-free sex. But it's it's really like a kid who likes ice cream. You know, when, when they're a kid, when you're in your parents' house, you don't get to eat all the ice cream that you want. You get little bits when they approve of it. When you move out of the house, then you have the opportunity. You spend a couple days eating as much as your little heart desires. And then when you wake up, you know, from your sugar coma with vomit all over you, then you realize that maybe they were onto something. Scarcity increases value. (laughs) Absence makes the heart grow fonder. One other thing you can notice is as sex has become more plentiful, then fetishism has become more prominent. You know, people become accustomed to things over time, so the more you get of it, the more you're going to want something more of it. The less likely you're going to be satisfied by the thing that you used to be satisfied with. You know, historically, it was like if there was uh, just a female in your vicinity that had two eyes or at least an eye patch, then that was sufficient to satisfy you. But now you have uh, instant access to, you know, thousands of only girls uh, with the double D's and a two inch waist uh, who seems like she likes you and you can access her in your pocket at any time. You know, it's a very different kind of world. So big picture-wise, I think kind of the the broader, more important aspect of this is that the meme of the value of life has a different character depending on uh, what we do about this issue. So it's like the collateral effects of the degradation of that particular meme. The value of life and children are things that have been on the decline steeply over the last 50 years. We had 50 years of putting women at odds with their own children, and we've seen the ramifications of that. We went from a point of safe, legal, and rare to shouting your abortion. I saw many examples of this just recently, people who are celebrating abortion as an act of authority and defiance, you know, as opposed to something that is a, a terrible necessity that somebody has to get out of the way. There's that one, and it was a while ago, <laughs> that one just absolutely horrendous comedian, and I put that in quotes, who was talking about how great it was to get abortions, how much she loved it, and there's this whole skit about how great abortions are. It's people filling in all the conceptual gaps. They're testing the borders of all these ideas, and that's what people do just in general is test the borders of ideas, and social media accelerates the process because people try to one-up each other to get attention, and it's something that can be very beneficial <laughs> when you're in a band of 40 and you're trying to figure out the best way to utilize your resources and survive because everybody's trying new things constantly, but conceptually, when it comes to memetics, when you're constantly trying to push every idea to the edges, to the borders, and you have so much comfort that you're able to do it, then then this is the kind of thing that that crops up. But the upshot of these ideas is that they diminish the value of life and children, and thus, as a result of family in general. And this is something that has happened over decades. You know, we've had decades of this just declining, declining, declining. People might not know why their behavior changed over these decades, but it certainly did. And it's easy to rationalize about complex phenomena like this. So, that's what's going on with that. I mean, that is... The world in a nutshell. And there are a whole bunch of ins and outs of various arguments that come up. Uh, like there, was, there were people talking about how they wanted to move to Europe without realizing that most of the laws around it there were more restrictive than what we had here. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, this was just the federal court sending it back to the states. Uh, you know, they thought it was going to be banned nationwide. There were a whole bunch of attacks on Justice Thomas. I mean, horrible attacks for not towing the party line. Uh, it's uh, There's so many just terrible things around this. And uh, probably some of the most concerning rhetoric that I've seen, you know, you have places like the Pentagon saying that they're not going to enforce decisions coming out of the Supreme Court. You know, obviously that's one branch of the government just saying that they're going to ignore the checks and balances from the other branch and you have of course uh, elected representatives saying that they that the court is illegitimate somehow some way it's illegitimate which was uh, deemed tantamount to insurrection historically but now is apparently okay so we'll have to see how far it goes but i really don't think this is any time for the opposition side to take their foot off the gas so we'll we'll see how how far it goes though all right, well, that was that. And next, it's going to be a book. We're going to be talking about a book. It's going to be the last part of The Archaeology of Mind. And I'm still finishing The Rise of Statistical Thinking. But after that, we're going to have five new ones. And I already have the list of five. And it's uh, it includes Frankenstein and San Francisco is one of the books. Uh, there are a bunch of other ones. Lots of good stuff that we're reading on the other side of these five. But otherwise, I hope all is well. And I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye.